Yo, what is up, everybody? Thank you for joining me on another episode of Pod Talk. It has been six months since I posted an episode on Pod Talk, so thank you so much for joining me on another episode. Today, we'll be discussing residency, the survival of residency, how to do your best, how to perform your best, and just how to get 100% of the experience that you should be getting to get the best training possible, and how to have fun and how to get the most out of it, basically. Just a heads up, this episode is not podiatry-specific, so that opens it up to anybody starting residency or in residency right now. So if you're ready for the 12 tips and tricks of how to do well in residency, stay tuned. Lego. Okay, number one, decide if this path is for you. Now, I know you're like, okay, seriously, I'm already in residency. Like, I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to finish it. Like, I already did medical school. I'm already ass deep in loans. Girl, what you talking about that if this is for me? I am serious. Give residency a go for the first two weeks or so. See if it's for you. See if that's something that you want to do for the rest of your life, that career. And when I say that is you will only do well if you really want the end result. Now, I'm not saying residency is going to be a walk in the park. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. You're there to push yourself. You're there to learn. You're there to basically put three years of work to learn as much as you can for the rest of your life and your career. So besides the ups and downs that you have during residency and the obstacles that you're going to face in life in general, if you see past all that, and you see the end goal of you being attending, you being a doctor, you being a surgeon, you being in that gray attending coat and fully functioning as an attending and that is your vision and that is your goal, then this is the place for you. Because that is basically the path, residency is basically the path that's going to get you there. So ask yourself, is this what you want to do? If the answer is yes, great. You have the intrinsic want to finish residency and become an attending. Besides the obstacles that can happen within residency, within life, within your relationships, within anything. If the answer is no or eh, I don't know, I like residency is going okay, but I don't know. The more I do it, the more I practice, the more I do surgery. I don't know if this is for me. I'm thinking about other paths in life. I don't know what to do. You are not alone. There's plenty of people in that bracket that feel the same way. But you have to understand that there's a difference between feeling confused about not knowing if you want to undergo the hard work or feeling confused if you want to do this for the rest of your life. There's quite a difference between those two. So if the answer is no, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, you have to soul search. You have to ask why. You have to answer and know the answer of to the question why. Why do you feel like this? Why do you want to pursue podiatry or medicine or whatever field you're going into? If you're walking into work every day and you're dreading it, you're not engaged, you're not interested, you're not happy every day you wake up and you're just like, I don't like what I'm doing. And it's not because this program is hard or because the surgeries are hard or because I'm getting pushed or challenged. It's because I genuinely do not like what I'm doing. Well, then quit. I'm hands down 100% supporting you to quit. Do something else. Find something that you're passionate about because guess what? You're only going to do well if you really want the end result. And there's other options that you can do. There's so many other routes that you can go. Um, and if you want to talk to somebody about this, you're kind of stuck in the middle. Oh, should I stay? Should I leave? GME, there's plenty of mentors out there. There's plenty of resources for you to talk to, to help you figure out exactly what your path in life should be. And if you should stay in residency or not. So I always like to start off with that because I really do feel that if people aren't into this, they're going to stay into it. If people are not into it, if they're not engaged, if they're just not not interested in the subject anymore, it's going to be really difficult for them to find motivation and passion to continue forward if you don't intrinsically like what you're doing. You have to like what you're doing. You have to like the end result. You have to like the vision of you graduating residency and then owning your own practice or working at a hospital or teaching or something, you have to have some goal at the end to drive you past everything that you're going to undergo. 
Um, and that's not only for residency, that's for life in general. So if you are in the bracket that you're like, yes, this is what I want to do. I'm up for the hard work. Let's do it. I want to push myself. I want to learn. Get excited. Give yourself some credit for being where you are. You made it this far. Appreciate all your hard work that you did and always ask the answer. I'm sorry. Always know the answer for the question. Why? Why am I doing this? You get called in the middle of the night. God, this sucks. Three o'clock in the morning. Man, I have to go. I just got home at 10. Why am I doing this? The end result is you're going to graduate. You're going to be a good physician and you're going to help people that need help. And that's why that's the why that's everyone has their own why, but you need to figure out why you're doing this. If it's for money, if it's for status, if it's for power, it's for getting chicks or guys, I don't know if this is not the path. Medicine is not for you. If those are your reasons why you need to intrinsically want to do it and you need to have the want and the passion to help others and really make a difference within the field and really make a difference in other people's lives despite the workload. So I'm going to end this little tidbit with a little quote. Your vision of where or who you want to be is the greatest asset you have. Let that resonate with you. I'm going to say it again. Your vision of where or who you want to be is the greatest asset you have. So your vision will basically dictate the life that you lead, the choices that you make, and the way you work hard and the positions and the situations that you put yourself in. So let that resonate with you. That is tidbit number one. And let's move on. Number two, owning your intrinsic qualities. Basically, the highlight of this uh, tidbit is not to be an asshole. And I know that sounds a little harsh, but not being an asshole in life will take you further than someone that is an asshole with talent. And I have seen that multiple, multiple times in my life. Be nice to people. It is so simple to just be kind and just be a good person. And that'll take you further than anything. Unfortunately, this is not something that you can teach someone. If you're a born asshole, you're an asshole. Um, but that's not saying that assholes can't work on themselves. Anyone can improve themselves. Anyone can take small steps to be better and do better than the person that they were yesterday. Being nice, being pleasant, being positive, those qualities will get you far in residency, in your career, in your life, in your relationships. Those are just really good qualities just to intrinsically have as a person. Let's face it, nobody wants to work with an asshole. Residency, your career, your life, as I have said, has its own ups and downs, right? And it's really important to stay positive and project good energy and good vibes to those around you. When you go to work and you feel miserable, you haven't slept, let's say you have kids and they're crying, you haven't slept, you've got into a fight with your husband, things are going on at home, right? Things are going on in your own personal life, in your relationship or something. Somebody got sick, somebody died. Life happens, right? And when you go to work and you're working hard and, you know, residency is challenging as it is and you're busy and you have a lot of responsibilities, the last thing anybody in that position wants to be working with is a Debbie Downer, somebody who's pessimistic, who's just negative, who just doesn't care. It's just such an easy thing to just be positive. And I say that it's easy in the sense that, you know what, you can, in any decision, in any situation, you can take it and react in two ways. You can be negative or you can be positive. What is the benefit of being negative? If you're just like, oh, God, we got a consult. God damn it. Like, what the hell? Why? Ugh. Or you can be like, okay, somebody needs us. Like, we got a consult. Um, this is going to be a good learning opportunity. We can help somebody. We can teach some of our um, younger residents. This might be a surgical case. Like, just if you have a positive lens and you get into the habit of that, you will see how your relationships, how your career, how your life will change. If you're constantly negative, nobody, and I mean nobody, is going to want to work with you. So just be positive. I think that's a really easy thing to kind of just hone in and really try to improve if you feel like you're a naturally born pessimist. Just try. Um, just try to look at the lighter side of things. Try to look at, you know, in any situation, what good can come out of this.
Another thing in terms of like an intrinsic quality is just be helpful. Just because you got into residency doesn't give you the freedom to be entitled, okay? Yes, you worked hard. Yes, you graduated medical school. Yes, you got into a residency that takes a lot of work, dedication. You literally made it to the top that a lot of people couldn't be in the position that you are today. But does that mean that you have to treat people like shit? Does that mean you have to treat people that literally do something and you think of them as below you? No, you have to be humble. Um, You have to be nice to everybody. I don't care what job they do. I don't care who they are, where they're from. People are people and you have to respect everyone with respect. You have to treat everyone the same way you would treat anyone else. Um, So be humble. Don't be entitled. That's key. If you start your residency being like, yeah, I'm a doctor now. I can do whatever the hell I want. I can boss the nurses around. I can boss anyone around. You're in for a treat, my friend, because that is not how it's going to go in real life. And people are not going to take that bullshit. And I'm going to tell you that now. You have to be a team player. You have to work hard and just help people. And when I say help people, I don't just mean patients. Help the MAs, help the nurses, help the students, help your co-residents, your attendings. A small deed of help can speak volumes about who you are as a person and your personality. If clinic is running behind and the rooms are getting emptied and new people have to come in and it's not clean, take 30 seconds to go and help clean the room. Put new paper on the chair, clean up the chuck, put some instruments away. It'll just improve the flow of the clinic. You'll be helpful. And then, you know, what? guess what? If one day you need a favor from the MAs, you need a favor from the nurses, they're not going to be like, oh, screw that resident. That resident never helps me. He's such an asshole or she's such a, you know, asshole as well. Uh, I'm not going to do that. They're not going to go out of your way. They're not going to go out of their way to help you. So be helpful. Be nice. I feel like the more you help people, the more people help you. And it's just like a symbiotic relationship that you kind of develop at work and in life. This is not just something that you should only do at work. When you are at home in public, you should just generally be somebody that would want to help other people at all times. Those are intrinsic qualities doctors should have and anybody in healthcare. Um smile, body language, be aware of how you look to other people. What you're doing at a certain amount of time, at a given time, try to see yourself at the outside perspective. Try to think, how does my face look right now? What does my body language say about me? What am I looking at? Am I on my phone? What am I doing? How am I standing? All these things, the human mind can just scan a person and just subconsciously get a vibe or get an idea of what this person is like without them even saying a word. So be aware of your body language. Um, It really impacts the way people have perception of you. And like I said, see yourself from an outside perspective. Um, And as you're going through your training, as you're going through life and any sort of human interaction, and that is one thing that I've learned from improv is as you're going through life with the conversations that you have, the reactions that you have towards people, the interactions, pick up on the way people's reactions change according to your facial expressions, your tone of voice, your body language. If you walk into a clinic room, let's say, and you sense that, you know, the patient feels entitled, they're pissed, they're angry, sit down, get on their level, understand why they're upset, talk to them. Don't talk too much in the beginning. Let them talk. Let them express why they're feeling the way that they are. There's so much psychology in medicine. There's so much psychology in any sort of job that you have with human-human interaction. So be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of how you are perceiving yourself and how people perceive you based on those three things that we talked about. Specifically, facial expressions, body language, tone of voice, stuff like that. So that concludes tidbit number two. Tip number three, support your co-residents. Residency is about teamwork and learning. Nobody likes a gunner. Nobody likes to work with a gunner. And a gunner to me through my experience is somebody that wants to be better and has to feel like they just want to be better than everybody else despite the consequences, despite what they have to do to get there. There's a difference between being a nice person that's motivated and wants to do more in their career and wants to do projects and wants to do more to better themselves 
that is not a gunner. That to me and my definition is more of like a go-getter. A go-getter wants to be better than the person that they were yesterday. Versus, like I said, a gunner is somebody who has to feel and wants to be better than everybody around them. Nobody likes to work with a gunner. And basically, don't be a gunner. Help one another. You and your co-residents are going through the exact same thing, the exact same training, working with the same people, working with the same patients, the situations. Nobody will understand you better than your co-residents. And for me, hands down, I would not be where I am today without the support of my co-residents. So we're a very close group. We support one another. We discuss things that bother us. We come up with solutions. We're there to listen. You just need a very good support system and residency. And in life in general, in any situation that you're going through, you need a support system. That's just one of the human essentials. So in your career in residency, as you take a couple steps forward in your career, you always want to make sure that your residents are not straggling behind. Is there something that your co-resident is struggling with? Presentations, surgery, oral presentations, um, posters, clinic, something. If there's something that you feel like they can work on, help them. Don't just watch them struggle. Don't just leave them behind as you're taking steps forward. You grow and you thrive as a person if the others around you are growing and thriving with you as well. Think about this analogy as like a flower patch, right? How many flowers do you see in a flower patch that are blooming, thriving, growing, living, surrounded by flowers that are dead? None. All the flowers that are growing together, all the flowers that are thriving, they're surrounded by flowers that are thriving. And that's the perfect analogy that I can give to support your co-residents. You will learn more and you will appreciate medicine more and you will be a better doctor if you have supportive residents and you support your residents yourself. Because teamwork, you can learn so much from one another and the more support that you give your residents and the more support that they give you, you will have a better experience throughout residency. So that is tidbit number three. Let's move on to four. Tip number four, respect your co-residents and know your boundaries. Now, I know I talked about in the last tidbit to support your co-residents. Basically, for me, that means being there for them, helping them, being someone that is lifting them up, showing support in and outside of the hospital. Are they going through something in life? You're there for them. Are they going through something in the hospital? You're there for them. Respecting your co-residents and knowing your boundaries is something a little different. You basically... And especially for residents that are just starting off PGY1s, PGY2s, interns, so forth, even students, you want to listen to the people above you. You want to listen to your senior residents and your attendings, of course. You want to be respectful. Um, You want to avoid any sort of conflict. If they say something that you don't think is right, you don't want to publicly correct them in front of people. You don't want to voice your opinion so loud that you make them look bad. Now, I'm not saying don't correct them if this is something that involves patient care and patient care is, you know, compromised. Of course, if there's something that is important to correct them, of course, do that. But I'm just talking about daily things. You know, if your attending says something, your senior says something, don't be like, oh, no, that didn't happen. This happened. This is what we did. Or I read the article and I know this answer. You know, it's just you want to present the other residents in the same light that you want to be presented. You don't want to throw anybody under the bus. So unless it's important, like I said, and it involves patient well-being, don't publicly correct anybody. It's just an awkward situation when, you know, you're talking to somebody and your, your intern or a student just corrects you. It just makes you look bad. And it's just a weird situation that you don't want to put yourself in and you don't want to be in if other people put you in that situation. So You have to be aware of when you share your knowledge and how you share your knowledge. There's a difference between the two, like the way you do it and how you do it. And I'm not saying if you know an answer to something, don't say it. Of course, you're in residency. You're there to learn. You're there to teach other people as well. But there's an art to saying and stating your knowledge that's not condescending. So basically, don't be condescending. If someone doesn't know something, don't be like, didn't you read that article? Ugh. 
that's actually in that chapter, McGlamory. We were supposed to read that last year or whatever, last week. Didn't you, don't you remember? Oh, this attending talked about this at lecture last week. How could you not know? There's a way to present information. There's a way to correct people. There's a way to answer questions in a way that's just very benign, um, straightforward, and not condescending. And don't intentionally make someone look bad. If someone doesn't know the answer to something, don't be obnoxious about it. Like I just said, um, don't correct. Don't give tips to senior residents and attendings. Um, if there's something going on in surgery that you're like, ugh, they need to drop their hand a little bit for that K-wire or, oh God, that dissection looks like shit. Keep your comments to yourself. You're not there to critique your attendings. You're not there to critique your senior residents. You're there to learn. Okay. Everyone has their own way of learning. Everyone has their own skills and techniques and everyone has strengths and weaknesses. Your strengths might not be anybody else's strengths. And your weaknesses, you may share weaknesses with people and you may share strengths with people, but that doesn't mean you have to like harass them about it or publicly correct them and humiliate them. Um, if there's a concern, let's say you're in surgery and you're just like, man, this, this is not the way I did it with the other doctor or this is not the way I looked up online and that's not the video that I saw and that's not the technique that they use, ask questions. You can ask questions and you can get an answer and get more clarity instead of sitting there and wondering why this person sucks at what they're doing. Um, you can give suggestions also in a way that's acceptable and not condescending. If someone is struggling with their dissection, instead of being like, wow, that sucks, like, can you protect the skin a little bit better? Or, you know, you're going to bag that nerve. You can simply say, do you want some retraction? I can help you out with that. There's just such a way to move around and be such a nicer person and approach things in such a nicer way. So be conscious about that. I don't care if you've known this person for five years. I don't care if you've known this person since high school, since grammar school. That doesn't matter. That's all irrelevant. When you're in the professional setting, you need to treat people with respect based on status, based on knowledge, based on experience. Um, don't demand things and don't command. If you're in surgery... I have seen students do this and it just infuriates me or residents or something. If someone in a status above you, a senior, a, you know, a chief resident, an attending, I have seen students and I have seen residents be like, drop your hand a little bit. You're not parallel or, you know, do this instead of that. You, are, what? Like that just blows my mind. The audacity people have you in that position that you're in, especially as a first year resident, second year, I don't care where in residency you are, talking to your attending like that is completely unacceptable. Um, you have to know your boundaries. You have to know your limits. You have to know what you can and cannot say. You can give suggestions. You can, you know, say something along the lines of, oh, when I did this surgery with so-and-so attending, I, I was holding my hand here. What technique do you like to use? You have to be political. You have to be conscious of how you're sounding, not only to your attendings, but to your co-residents. Whatever you say, whatever you do, especially if you're like a higher-up resident, third, fourth, fifth year, whatever, your intern, your second years, your third years, they're watching you like a hawk. Um, sorry, my phone's going off. Uh, they're watching you like a hawk. So whatever you do, they're probably going to mimic that. So you have to set a good example and you have to be respectful and you have to do things in a way that's just pleasant and not something that arises conflict. Um, and like I said, there's an art to getting your point across with proper phrasing rather than demanding and commanding things. Don't throw anyone under the bus. Um, your residents are there to help you. Your attendings are there to help you. And your residents are there for the same reason you are, to learn, to train, to graduate, to get an attending job, to go forth with their career. There's no reason to throw anybody under the bus. Once you're in medical school, I feel like everything is the same. Once you're in residency, everything's the same. Like, we're all going to graduate. We're all going to get jobs. The end. You know, why not help someone along the way? First of all, it's healthier and easier to work together and be civil and pleasant with one another when you're working in residency and in your career in general. So let's move on to tip number five. Tip number five, working smart is better than working hard. Asking questions is one of the main things that you should be doing in residency. 
Asking questions should not make you feel stupid. Asking questions should not shine light to something that you don't know and feel embarrassed and you should not feel humiliated about it. About it. That's an essential part of residency is you being curious, you asking questions, you getting an answer. That's essentially why you're there. You're there to learn. You should never feel stupid about asking a question, no matter how stupid or dumb you think it is. You should engage in conversations and be curious. That's all part of asking questions and working smart. If you don't know something, ask. Use your resources. If you're struggling with something, oh, I don't know the dosage of this, and oh, God, I'm looking up so many things online, I'm getting a different answer. Guess what? Pick up the phone, dial zero, ask the operator to connect you to your hospital pharmacist, and talk to them. They know better than the internet. They are trained to know the answer. So use your resources. If you don't know where something is in clinic, ask. Don't spend 20 minutes trying to find a curette. Ask around. There's so many people that can help you and be smart about your time and your efficiency. Ask questions, use your time wisely, and you should engage in conversations and you should naturally want to be curious in your profession. You should want to know more of the why. Why is this happening? Why are we doing this? You should know the basic principles of things. And the more you know, the more it's going to be easier for you to work smarter and more efficient. And like I said, use your resources. Going back to questions, when you ask questions, be confident in your questions. Don't try to look and be smart. Nobody should go into residency and be like, yeah, I'm here. I'm smart. I don't need to know anything. Okay, whatever. No. Nobody wants to deal with somebody that they think that they know everything. Residencies, jobs, careers in general, they like to hire people that are trainable, teachable, not people that they think that they know everything. Don't feel you have to be the smartest person in the room. One of my favorite quotes is, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. And I love that quote because it teaches you the value of being humble and the value of being in a room where you can learn from other people. If you're the smartest person in the room, what the hell are you going to learn? Yeah, you'll talk to people. Maybe you'll get inspired to do something. You'll get ideas. But if you're in a room where everyone else is smarter than you and they have more experience, and what what do I mean when I say smarter? I don't mean higher IQ or bullshit like that. I mean someone with more experience, with someone that has more knowledge of what you're trying to go into or has more knowledge on the subject matter that you're interested in. Someone that can share their life experience with you and then you can learn from. Wouldn't that be better than being in a room where you're the smartest person? How boring would that be? What would you learn? So stay humble and understand that there's always in the world, I don't care if you're the smartest person in your class, in the state, in the country, I don't care. There's always going to be someone smarter than you, better than you in terms of skills, technique. But guess what? You're probably better in so many things than other people. It's all comparative and it's all relative and it's all just perception and the way you kind of compare things in life. That's just the way it is. So what's the point of trying to compare yourself to other people? They're not going to be better than you in certain things and you're not going to be better than them in certain things. So why don't you just take your time and compare yourself to yourself and understand the value of learning from other people compared to trying to shine your knowledge on other people at all times and feeling this constant pressure to be better than everybody else. So that's all part of working smart. You work smart with people by learning from them. You can work hard all you want. You can sit up and stay up all night and read McGlamoury's and this and that. But unless you kind of step back and think, okay, I'm reading all this text. What does it mean? What are the basic principles that I need to do? What are the key highlights that I need to know? What is something that I can take from this that I just read and apply it to clinic or apply it to surgery or teach someone in my residency or teach a student? So remember, the next time that you feel like, is this right for me? Am I in the right environment to learn? Think about it. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Let's go to tidbit number six. Tip number six. The power of listening. So much can be learned from passive listening. It is not even funny how much you can learn. We live in a society where everybody just wants to talk. 
talk, talk, talk. Everyone has an answer for everything. No one is listening to other people because in their mind, they're thinking about what they're going to say next. Just stop. Pretend time stops. Put your phone down. Tune off your brain for a little bit. Open up your ears and just listen to people. You will learn so much of how to better communicate with patients. You will just learn facts. You will learn certain things in your career that you will need if you just listen to people talk. For example, if you go to clinic and you're helping your attending or you're rounding with your chief resident or whatever, listen to the interaction that they have with the patient. Is it a pleasant one? Is it something that they're discussing something difficult? Are they discussing something that, you know, the patient is going to find really um, worrisome or how is their reaction going to be? Think about what the attending or the chief resident told them. How did they present it in a way that has good bedside manner? What is their reaction? What is the patient's reaction? What are they saying? How are they kind of prepping this person for surgery? What are they doing? How's their body language? How do they enter and exit a room? That is all relevant because one day you're going to be the chief resident. One day you're going to be the attending. And one day you're going to be running your own clinic. And these skills that you adapt now, you're going to use for the rest of your life. And you basically adapt the way that you talk over time. If you listen, you pick up on the language, the terminology, the expressions that you're um, chief resident or your attendings have. And over time, you're going to develop your own style of how you do things with your patients. But by listening and by listening, even to attending to attending discussion, like in the OR or attending to anesthesiologists, listen to what they're saying. Listen to the questions that they ask and listen to the answers. You can learn so much from passive listening. Textbooks will only teach you techniques, facts, but they will not teach you how to communicate. You learn communication by watching communication. And that is the key thing that I think I've picked up on residency is to be a good listener and not only listen to the people around you that are talking, but listen to your patients. Take five seconds away from what you're doing. I don't care if you're writing something down. I don't care if you're at the computer. Look at your patient when they talk to you. Sit down in front of them and have a conversation with them. Why are they here? What do they need? What do they want to accomplish in this encounter? What is something that you feel like you can provide for them? You can only get that information if you listen. No magic eight ball is going to show you the answer to what you have to do unless you listen to the patient. And you learn all this by listening and observing any sort of patient-doctor interaction or any sort of human-human interaction. And once you kind of understand the power and the value of listening to people, not only at work, you start picking up on the way people interact and listen. You kind of highlight people's behaviors outside of work. And it's super fascinating. It's very interesting. So listen, open up your ears, listen. You don't always have to have an answer for everything. I think there's more power sometimes in just being passive and listening than always having the need to interject and have an answer for everything. Let's go on to tidbit number seven. Tip number seven, seek criticism. You never know what you can improve on unless you seek criticism. Honest criticism. There's a big difference between getting good criticism that can actually be constructive and you can improve on and just getting half-assed mediocre criticism. You don't want the latter. I hate the phrase good job. I really do hate it. Okay, you did a great job on that case. Cool. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? Tell me what I need to improve on. I value attendings that are like, you know what? You need to work on this. You need to work on that. That gives me motivation to know what I need to work on and how I can improve it. Also, let me know what I'm doing right. Because if I know that I'm doing something right and you see that I'm doing something right, maybe that'll give me more confidence into teaching somebody else. So seek criticism. You're not just there to just do things and be a robot and get things done and leave. How am I supposed to know what I'm doing best or what I'm doing worse if I don't get criticism? So if you don't get it, you should actively seek it. I mean, when you're done with something and someone tells you good job, it's like, okay, I can say that phrase to a kindergartner after they colored a picture. That doesn't mean anything, you know? So I want to know what I did well. I want to know what I did poorly so I can improve. That's how you learn best what your strengths and your weaknesses are. So there's this book that I found in Amsterdam 
when I went to the conference um, a couple months ago, and the title of the book is named, It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be. And it's not like a very like long book. Um, it has like little tidbits here and there. Every page is kind of something different. And it's by Paul Arden. And one of the things that I read in this book really resonated with me because this is something I really try to do in my career and in residency. Um, one of the pages reads, do not seek praise, seek criticism. And then it goes forth with the following literature. It is quite easy to get approval if we ask enough people or if we ask those who are likely to tell us what we want to hear. The likelihood is that they will say nice things rather than be too critical. Also, we tend to edit out the bad so that we hear only what we want to hear. So if you have produced a pleasantly acceptable piece of work, you will have proved to yourself that it's good simply because others have said so. It's probably okay, but then it's probably not that great either. If instead of seeking approval, you ask, what's wrong with it? How can I make it better? You are more likely to get truthful and a critical answer. You may even get an improvement on your idea. And you are still in a position to reject the criticism if you think it is wrong. Can you find fault with this? And I thought that was so cool because it's like, you can seek criticism, but you don't have to believe it. So <laughs> you might think that's a little kind of contradictory, but it's true. Like, if you ask for someone's opinion, if it's something that you feel like you can get value of, hey, I think they're right. I could get better at this. Or, yeah, this is actually a really good part of my project. Like, I really did do a good job at this. You know, you can take it or leave it. And that's the beauty of criticism, especially if you seek it. Because if someone actively goes out of their way to criticize you, you might find it a little defensive. You might be like, eh, they're kind of an asshole for saying that, depending on how they say it. But you should want to seek criticism. You should want to know what you're doing well. You should want to know what you're doing poorly. So that really resonated with me in that book. And I hope it resonates with you. Let's go on to tidbit number eight. Tip number eight, own your mistakes. Nobody is perfect. Nobody in the world is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes and everyone should learn from their mistakes. But when people make mistakes, often they like to blame other people. And that's kind of a natural human instinct to just kind of push blame on other people so you don't get in trouble. But take ownership of your mistakes, regardless if they're big or small. If you blame others for what you have done and you can only shine fault to other people, that says a lot about your personality. A confident person will accept the good that they do and a confident person will accept the bad that they do. Don't blame others for your own doings. If you take ownership of your mistakes, you learn from them better, you build independence, you build resilience, you build confidence, and you build self-awareness. How did I screw up? What did I do? Am I going to just push blame on other people? Well, if I do that, then I'm out in the clear. I have nothing to improve on. I have nothing to work myself towards. But if you take ownership of your mistakes and you're just like, yeah, man, I really screwed that up. Like, oh, God, that sucks. Okay, I don't want to feel this feeling again. Like, it's totally my fault. I should have done this. I should have communicated better. I should have sent an email or I should have told you about this person. I should have done this. I should have done that. Take ownership of your fault. Don't overdo it. I mean, I'm not saying go into a state of depression, but you will learn and you will improve and you will grow more as a person if you own your mistakes and somebody that just shines light to other people and they're just like, yep, they're at fault. Points finger to the person in the corner. They did it, not me. So own your mistakes. In residency, you have the perfect opportunity to make mistakes and learn from them. This is the highlight of your career where no one's going to sue you in terms of malpractice if you just make, you know, a little mistake. Use this time to really try, you know, to not freely make mistakes, but be comfortable and own up to your mistakes. I think this is the perfect time to feel confident to own up to your mistakes because you can always improve from them. Nobody is perfect. Like I said, no one. So stop giving yourself these expectations that you have to be perfect, that you can't make mistakes. Listen, you live and you learn. 
So if you screw up, you learn something, you improve something, you move on. No one should and no one will expect you to be perfect. So in a sense, that should be reassuring. Nobody's perfect. So why do I feel like I have to put up these expectations of myself to be perfect? If nobody's perfect, then why should I feel like I have to be perfect? Nobody's perfect. If you mess up, just think, okay, I'm only human. This happens. Shit happens. So how can I make things better for me? How can I make things better for other people? How can I avoid this mistake and avoid it in the future? Going back to the book that I talked about in the last tidbit, It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be by Paul Arden. There's an expert in here, and it's a very short one, and it's just labeled, It's All My Fault. If you are involved in something that goes wrong, never blame others. Blame no one but yourself. If you have touched something, accept total responsibility for that piece of work. If you accept responsibility, you are in a position to do something about it. So that resonated with me because even if you made a mistake and you own it, guess what? Then you have the power to change something. You own that mistake. You own the solution. You own whatever's going to happen from that point on to make things better. So isn't it better to own your mistake than to kind of just shine light to other people and be like, yep, you did it, whatever? No. You have more confidence to accept your mistakes. We're only human. We all make mistakes. We live and we learn. So just accept it for what it is. Let's go on to tidbit number nine. Tip number nine, always be prepared. As a resident, you're expected to be prepared for any situation that comes along your way, whether that's rounding, clinic, surgery, a crazy consult, trauma, consult that comes in, anything that comes your way, you should feel like you want to be prepared and you're basically expected to be prepared. For example, let's say you're rounding in the morning with your senior residents and your attendings. Grab supplies. Chart check what you need in the morning. Uh, if someone you think uh, after your chart check needs an IND, grab supplies for that. If someone you're doing a dressing change on needs supplies, grab those dressing change supplies. Just be, be prepared and make any sort of situation as smoothly as possible by being efficient. And the only way you can do that is by being prepared. For clinic, let's say you're seeing a lot of patients with wounds. You're in a wound care clinic. Put probes and blades in your pocket. You know you're going to have to go out and get those supplies or you're going to have to go to the closet or whatever in the cabinet. Just put them in your pocket. Just be prepared for anything that comes your way, especially when it comes to rounding. You should always want to have those supplies with you. When it comes to surgery, study the cases that are on the agenda prior to the case. And that doesn't mean you have to read excerpts and journals and all this stuff and stay up all night to do that. Start slow. You're going to see multiple bunions throughout your, throughout your residency. You're going to see multiple of the same procedures. So why don't we look up the basic principles of bunion corrections the first time that you do the procedure with, or that you witness a procedure um, that someone's doing in the OR, if, like your second scrubbing. Start with the basic principles. Look up videos online. Once you start getting gaining the momentum of the basic principles, start picking up a journal. What is the conservative and surgical management of this type of pathology? What do other people do? Um, what is the technique used in this book? Well, what about this book? You slowly start engaging yourself and you start learning more the more you do something and the more you read up on it. The first time you have a surgery and then you're scrubbing in on a case, you don't have to read everything under the sun the same night right before the procedure. Understand the basic principles first, and then everything is a building block after that. When it comes to presentations, put all your effort in anything that you do. I don't care if it's a little case series. I don't care if it's like a little presentation for the students. Those students that will see you one day doing that presentation, they're going to take note, and they're going to be like, oh, wow, that was a half-assed presentation. They're going to remember that, and vice versa. If that was a really good presentation, they're equally going to remember that. Your residents are going to remember that. Your attendings are going to remember that. Don't half-ass anything. Be prepared. Um, in any case, whether it's just starting the day to round or clinic or whatever, show up early. Be engaged. Make a checklist of what you have to do the day. Do you have to consent someone for surgery? Do you have to call someone to make some sort of arrangements for a patient? 
Is there something on your checklist that you didn't do yesterday that you have to get done today? Be organized. Um, what I like to do in terms of like documents that I frequently use, I put them in a Google Drive and I just have them on my phone. So for example, information that I need quick access for, the call schedule, weekly schedules, like surgical cases that we have for the week, what is on the agenda for the week, contact information. I have it all on a Google Drive just so it's easy for me to access it. Be efficient, be organized. If you're efficient, you're organized. That's half the battle of making sure everything on your to-do list is done. And if you know anything about my organization, you will know that I'm a huge Erin Condren fan. I love to make little side notes. I love checklists. Um, I love my daily planner. If you're someone that likes to write things in a planner, get a planner. If you're someone that only likes to write things on their phone, use your phone, whatever works best for you. Just always be prepared in residency and just always expect the unexpected to happen. And guess what? What I learned in improv is basically life is improv. Any situation that you come across, any person that you meet, life is just a big improv show. So just be prepared and you'll be ready for anything. Let's go on to tidbit number 10. Tip number 10, self-care and being engaged of hobbies outside of medicine. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I feel like I've engaged myself in so many things outside of medicine that I now have more perspective of the importance of doing that. Um, when I was in school, especially during the first two years, all I did was study and read and study and read. I was lost in the library. All I did was go to school, go to the library, go to school, go to the library. I lost myself. I wasn't working out. I didn't have any hobbies. I didn't do any sports. I didn't go to any like fitness classes. I didn't do anything, anything artistic. I was just lost in this misery of just this endless loop of studying. And the sad part is that going back, I don't think I could have done anything different because I was so time restricted with everything that we had to do. And for me, I'm a type of learner that I have to read everything over and over and over again to memorize it and to just learn it. So learning a lot of things in a short period of time, cramming constantly, was not easy for me. Did I do it? Yes. Was I successful at it? Yes. But that came to a cost. The consequences were I didn't have time really for anything else. I didn't engage myself in any sort of physical activity. I didn't engage myself in anything artistic. And I feel like I love the arts and dramas and stuff like that. Like I just love so many things outside of medicine and I just was completely lost in this endless loop of just this routine that I got myself in. So would I say that I was happy? I mean, how happy can you be in med school? You know, it sucks, especially the first two years. We all know how crazy it is with studying and stuff like that. But you have to have, like I said in the first tidbit, you have to have the end result in mind. Why am I doing this? Why am I in the library at 2 a.m.? Why am I in the library until 5? Why am I in the library until class starts in the morning, until I have my test, and then I have to go home and just like completely pass out because I'm so tired? Why am I doing this? I could just be working at an easy job 9 to 5, go home, chill. What is the why? The why was, oh, I want to get into residency and become a doctor. I want to get into residency and become a surgeon, and I want to do this for the rest of my life. So my why kept me going. Now in residency, now that I'm in residency and I have more control of my time management, if I have something to do in terms of like board studying or like studying in general, that thing is just lingering on my mind all the time in the same way. The, the, it was the same exact situation when I was in school. Every time I had a test, I could not do anything unless like I studied, I studied, I studied and got the test done. Okay, well now there's another test and I was studying and studying and studying until I got that test done. It was just this endless loop. Now in residency, there's so much light at the end of the tunnel after student life. I love residency compared to student life. It is so much better. I feel like I have more control over my time. Yes, it's a lot of work. Yes, the hours are long. Yes, there's a lot of things that you have to do outside of work for residency, research projects, posters, studying working up cases, working up case studies, preparing for boards. Of course, that all comes with the territory of residency. That's not something anybody can avoid. But if you have good time management skills and you don't have 
three to four exams lingering over your head every week, I feel at this point in my life, I have more time management. And with more time management, I feel like in residency, people have more time to engage in the things that they wanted to do if they didn't have time to do that in med school. So obviously when we talk about self-care, we always talk about hygiene, eating healthy, working out, at least take 15 to 20 minutes a day just for you. Do you want to watch something on TV for 20 minutes? If that's going to make you happy, do it. If you're going to do a face mask, if you're going to go to the gym, if you're going to talk to someone on the phone, if you're going to FaceTime somebody, if you're just going to sit there in the dark room and just close your eyes for 10, 15 minutes, and that's just what gives you the boost and your second win to continue on with everything you have to do for the rest of the day, do it. No one's holding you back. You should be able to give yourself at least 20 minutes a day to do whatever you want. Going back to the hobbies. I can rave about this, especially in residency and especially seeing people go through residency and medicine and people that are attendings and people that have retired and just going to different functions and stuff like that. People love to talk about work. People love to talk about their profession. People love to talk about everything in their career. And those are the, that's the person that I don't want to be. I don't want to go to places and just only talk podiatry. I don't want to go to places and only talk about surgery. I don't want to go to places and only talk about wound care, this, that. Your life is not your career. Your life is a multitude of different things, and that's what makes you multifaceted. You have family. You have relationships. You have hobbies. You have obligations and responsibilities outside of work. Is work important? Is your career important? Of course. You wouldn't be where you are today if you didn't have that mentality. But is it everything? No. Do people make it everything? Yes. That is not the person I want to be. I want to have good good variety of options that I want to do in my life. And it's sad to see that people just make work their life. They sacrifice time with their family. They don't do anything in their life besides work. They work on the weekends. They work like 15, 16-hour shifts. And it's just this continuous, endless loop of work and work and work. And that's how people get burnt out. That's how residents get burnt out. That's how students get burnt out. That's how attendings get burnt out. Physician burnout is real. And I feel like that's part of the reason. People make their careers the priority of their life. And this is not something I think medicine was designed to be. It wasn't designed, this career was not designed to be your priority in your life and the only thing that you focus on. It's designed to be a part of your life that gives you value and you feel like you're contributing back. That's the relationship that I want to have with my work one day. That's the relationship I want to have with my career. I don't want my career to become a burden. I don't want my career to define me. I am not only a podiatrist. I am not only a resident. I am a human with multiple interests, with multiple webs of relationship. And yes, I am a podiatrist because I chose to be one and I love what I do because otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. Um, but don't make your career the end all be all. Don't lose yourself in your career the same way that I lost myself when I was in school. I was, I was pretty miserable. Uh, looking back, I was just, oof. like, I didn't do anything. Like if you really think about what I did, yeah, we would go out sometimes on the weekends. We would go for dinner stuff like that with my friends. But, oh gosh, if I had to go back, if you told me, Katerina, I will give you a million dollars, go back to school take the money, redo everything that you did in medical school, take the same tests, study, and you'll keep the million dollars and all your loans will be wiped, I would not do it. Hell no. No, 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 no. Never. I'm never going back to school like that. And what, for money? Who cares? Like, you're going to make money anyways. Like, I hate how people use money as, like, a driving force to do things. It's just absolute bullshit. Because guess what? You know how many people get money quick? They get rich quick. Um, They land a deal. They make a patent. They win the lotto. And you know how many times these people get broke within a couple years? Money doesn't mean shit. Um, So along with that, you have to think about, okay, What else am I going to be good at? What else do I want to do? Do I want to do dance? Do I want to do art? Do I want to do comedy? Do I want to do a million other things? And just because you're in medicine does not mean in your career that you have to do medicine only. There's so many doctors that have so many cool side gigs. There's doctors, there's lawyers, there's all these like high status job people that are knowledgeable and are graduates and stuff like that that have side businesses like 
restaurants, bars, this, that. That's so cool. How multifaceted can you be? You're a doctor and you're doing this too? That's so dope. How many people can you inspire by being multifaceted? And I think that's the main thing I learned about myself the last year or two is the fact that the hardest thing is starting. If you have an idea, start it. The hardest part is starting. And once you start, you gain momentum. I don't give a shit, whatever it is. You gain momentum if you want to do something. And you have no idea the beauty of something that you can produce unless you start. The same thing with Medipins. I was like, eh, I really want to start this business. I don't know if I should do it. I'm in residency. It might take a lot of time. What if it fails? Am I going to invest all this money to start the pins and this and that? Well, guess what? What if I didn't do it? It wouldn't exist. It wouldn't be what it is today. And what is it today? It's a hobby for me. I bring joy to people and they wear something I designed all because I made a decision to start something because of a hobby. So I like to talk about this so much and I have so much passion for this because it's something that really I feel people take it to heart and they get defined by their career and that is not something that you should be. The way I like to think about it and Some people think it's a little morbid, but I told a group of students one day, this girl was an amazing artist, an amazing, an amazing artist. And um, she was like, oh, you know, I don't have time to do art and this and that. You know, I I haven't really done too much in school. And I was like, do it. I don't care if you have to like spend hours a night to do it. Just if you find time and you want to do this, just paint. Just do art. Do something more than your career because you'll be more of an interesting person. You'll find interest outside of your profession, outside of your career. You'll be more, you'll be happier as a person. You'll be more fulfilled knowing that you did something that brought you joy outside of work. And people tell me that this is a little morbid, like I said, but I say, you know, what if one day you get hit by a bus? What if one day you develop a disease where you have a condition where you lose your hand function? How are you going to function as a surgeon? How are you going to function as a doctor? How are you going to function as if you only define yourself as your career? How are you going to function? What are you going to do? And people just look at me and they're just like, shit, she's right. What am I going to do if I get paralyzed? What am I going to do if I lose function in my hand? I can't do surgery. What am I going to do to make money? What am I going to do to support my family? What are my hobbies? And that is the reason why I feel like hobbies are so important and not only just to have hobbies, but to engage in your hobbies, whether you're in residency, whether you're in attending. And what I just mentioned, you know, losing function of your hands, getting hit by a bus, getting paralyzed, getting sick. Does that suck? Yes. Is that something that could happen? Yes. It's a realistic aspect of life and you have to be prepared for anything. Um, So is it worth it to leave your hobbies to put your career in front? You know, everything has gives and takes. I'm not saying, okay, drop what you're doing in residency and start stand-up and do that full-time. That's not what I'm saying. Can you do a stand-up on the side and like on Saturday nights because you enjoy it and you like the people that are there and you like making people laugh and it brings you joy for like two or three hours a week? Hell yeah. Why can't you do that? You know how many people go home and you know how many people go on the couch and just watch TV for five or six hours and they're just like, I'm so tired. I'm just going to relax. And you know how some people take that time and they do something with it and they get more fulfilled because they find satisfaction within themselves to know that they did something productive and they did something that brings value to other people. Once you start, I swear to God, I don't care what you do. If you find that you have a passion for something and you start, let's say, painting and you start selling your art and you start doing all these things and you bring people joy and your art is hanging on someone's wall in their house. How cool is that? How cool is that? You can only get to that point if you make the decision that, yeah, I'm going to engage in my hobbies. I'm going to paint. I'm going to design t-shirts. I'm going to do something. And like I said, once you gain momentum, it's just this thing that grows and grows and grows. And the beauty of it is that there's no deadlines. You set your own deadlines. You set your own, okay, I'm going to do this at this time. I'm going to do this at another time. And I'm going to have a whole other podcast episode about working in waves and how I feel like I'm well balancing all the different aspects of my life. And that's only because I engage myself in different hobbies and activities. And that's how I learned how to better work efficiently, how to work smarter um, in my life. 
So like I said, you'll be more engaged and you'll be happier if you do things outside of medicine. That is hands down true. I completely believe that. Don't lose yourself in medicine. Medicine should be your passion. Medicine should be something that you love to do, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you love to do. Even if you feel like you're doing more, you're engaging yourself in more hobbies, more activities, you feel like you're physically doing more and you're spending and exerting energy doing more, the fact that you're doing more and you're fulfilling the things that you want to do in your hobbies and everything else, your risk of physician burnout is significantly going to reduce because you feel like you have more purpose outside of medicine. You have more engagement, more than simply the career path that you chose. So end of that rant. Basically, take your hobbies and run with them and set dedicated time to enjoy them outside of medicine. Let's go on to tidbit number 11. Tip number 11, seek help if you need it. We all go through ups and downs in life, and some people react to things better than others. Mental health, especially in this day and age, should not be anything that is stigmatized. If you need help and you need someone to talk to, there's so many resources out there to do so. All you have to do is reach out to a friend, family member, GME, your attending, a therapist, anybody that would listen. There's so many options of ways that you can move around and maneuver around your obstacles and the way you're feeling. If you're feeling disengaged from certain things that you had passion for, if you're finding yourself that you're going home and you're not engaging in anybody and you're not engaging in the things that you like to do or you're going to work and everything just seems like a drag, I mean, those are signs of physician burnout. Those are signs that you should look out for. Um, If you don't find passion and you don't find enjoyment in the things that you do and it's different from the past experiences that you had in the same job or working with the same people, there's a reason why you're feeling that way and it should not be bottled up. It's not going to go away on its own unless you seek help and you change something about that situation that you're in. Talking to a therapist is something that a lot of people in the past were like, oh, only crazy people talk to therapists and that's complete bullshit. People that talk to therapists have a better understanding of themselves. They have a better understanding of why they're feeling the way that they're feeling. And they have more clarity in their life. I mean, who doesn't want that? If you're feeling like you're struggling, there's so many solutions. There's so many resources to do that. I'm going to have another podcast episode coming up. It's on the list of um, topics on physician burnout, things to do, things to look out for, how to avoid it and resources that can help you um, overcome it. But that's going to be at a later episode. So basically, tidbit 11 is basically if you need help, seek it. Don't bottle things up. It'll make your experience in residency and in life so much smoother if you seek the help that you actually need. Let's go along to the last tidbit, tidbit number 12. If you're still listening to this, I give you props because I know this is a very long podcast, but I think it's something that you'll take away and you'll use in your careers and your life in general. So tidbit number 12 is what you put in is what you get out. And I know that sounds a little cliche, but it's so true. Minimal effort will make you mediocre. And for me, I don't know what, I have like this fear of just being average and being mediocre. And there's nothing wrong with being average if you feel like you have average abilities. But if you're in medical school, if you're a resident, if you're an attending, you have intrinsic qualities that make you want to do better than average. So nobody in this position that you're in is average. But you should not feel like you can't do more. In residency, if you just do the bare minimum, you're going to get the bare minimum out. People are comfortable being average and people are comfortable doing the minimal work because they know they can just graduate, find a job. But if you want to do better than that, you have to put in the work. There's no easy way. One of my favorite entrepreneurs and inspirational speakers is Gary Vaynerchuk. And one of the quotes that he likes to say is, everyone wants to be great, but nobody wants to do the work. And that is so true. Everyone wants easy money, easy status, easy fame. But who's willing to actually do the work? Who's willing to actually make a difference in other people's lives? Who's actually willing to sacrifice their nights, their time, their time with their families, their life, their time in in their youth? How many years have you been in school? How many years have you been doing training? That's a sacrifice right there. Nobody average would ever do that. So right along there, you're above average. So just have that mentality moving along life that you know, you're not mediocre. You weren't set to be mediocre. You were set to do something more in life. You were set to do something that impacts people, that treats people. You have the ability to do more. 
So why not do more in residency? Why not really put in your effort to get every ounce of learning that you can do, every ounce of experience, every ounce of exposure and networking, go to conferences. You should want to do more. And that for sure will not make you mediocre. The work you put in, the effort, the enthusiasm, the positivity, the long nights, like I said, the early mornings, the initiative. Initiative is such a key word when it comes to life and being successful. That's what makes you better than the average person. And that's not even important. You shouldn't even compare yourself to other people. Initiative, all these things that I mentioned, that's what makes you better than the person that you were yesterday. You should never compare yourself to other people. It's absolutely, completely irrelevant. Everything that you do today should be a better version of what you did tomorrow. And tomorrow, or I'm sorry, I totally messed that up. What you do today should be a better version of what you did yesterday. And what you do tomorrow should be a better version of what you do today. Going back to the book that I was talking about, and this is how I'm going to end this podcast because I think it's a really strong way to end it. So going back, like I said, the book that I'm taking like little short excerpts on, it's uh, called It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be by Paul Arden. And there's a page that reads, all of us want to be good at our jobs, but how good do we really want to be? Quite good, good, very good, the best in our field or the best in the world. Talent helps, but it won't take you as far as ambition. Everybody wants to be good, but not many people are prepared to make the sacrifices it takes to be great. Too many people being nice in order to be liked is more important. There's equal merit in that, but you must not confuse being good with being liked. Most people are looking for a solution, a way to become good. There is no instant solution. The only way to learn is through experience and mistakes. You will become whoever you want to be. And as soon as I read that, I got chills because it's true. Like I said before, your vision is the greatest asset that you have. You can become whoever you want to be. If you want to be that doctor wearing that gray attending coat one day, you will be that because that's the person that you aspire to be. If you want to do something more than that, if you want to do something less than that, you can do whatever you put your mind to. And I know that sounds cliche, but it's so true. So like I said, you will become whoever you want to be. And take all those tidbits and run with them. Because I know if you follow all these little tricks and tips, you will have a successful residency and you will be high above average and you will never be mediocre. And I will leave you with that. I hope you enjoyed this segment. And as always, work hard, be humble, be kind, and life will treat you well. Later. Oh, thank you. Whoa, one second. You thought I was going to end this podcast without saying thank you personally? I want to thank all my listeners out there that took the time to listen to this podcast. I really hope you got something from it. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Let me know what you liked. Let me know what you didn't like. As always, I like to seek criticism. So let me know what I did great. Let me know what I need to work on. And let me know any sort of topics that you want me to discuss in the future. As always, Katerina Grigoropoulos here. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Pod Talk. Talk to you later. <laughs>